It is always great to be back home. This is the church I was born into. This is the church where I came to faith. This is the church where I was baptized. This is the church where I was ordained for ministry on May the 10th, 1978. This is the church that I come home to. And it's good to see you. And it is a privilege to be here today and to be able to speak to you uh, a very important message. First, full disclosure. I had a dream. And in that dream, Beverly and I were attending a massive gathering in a stadium, some kind of conference was going on. And at the last moment, someone called me out of the stands to come up and pray. And before thousands of people, I prayed. I prayed as earnestly as I could, as eloquently as I could. And when I finished, I went back down. I sat next to Beverly. She turned to me and she said, you are a godly man. And in my dream, I laughed hysterically so hard that I woke up laughing because I know me <laughs> and she knows me well enough <laughs> that she would not have said that. I have no idea where that came from. <laughs> May God its gold refine. We just sang that about our country. That's what God wants to do with us. He wants to refine us. He wants to bring the gold out in us. And we are a work in progress. And so I come today with a message, a message that I wanted to preach, a message that I feared to preach, but one that I'm going to preach anyway this morning. And as we begin, I want to read the words of a hymn that really sum up the message of Genesis chapter 22. It's a song that you will sing at the end of the service. And I'd like us to be prepared as we are in process to pray this prayer with sincerity and aspiration, not realization, but aspiration. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender, humbly at His feet I bow. Worldly pleasures, all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. All to Jesus I surrender. Make me Savior, 
wholly thine. May thy spirit fill me. May I know thy power divine. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Whenever they called my name, I froze. They called my name and I knew it was my time to walk up in the middle of the piano recital and play the piece that I had been practicing all year long. When the judge called my name, I realized that it was my turn to come before the National Piano Audition judge and play the piece that I had been working on all year and get graded on it. I grew up in a musical family. My dad sang. He played the piano. He played the accordion. He played the violin. My younger sister played the piano played violin. They were gifted. I was not. I took piano lessons. It was grueling. Sometimes I wondered if my parents did not like me. Because year after year, I went to Dear Miss Philly, and I took piano lessons. Where's Sully? Is he here? Who played for us? Oh my goodness. Bless his heart. <laughs> He's what I never was, never could be. When they called my name, I froze. I had recital anxiety. I had audition anxiety. Have you ever had test anxiety? Anybody here ever freeze before an exam? Yeah, you know what it is to have test anxiety. Life brings tests to us. It may be a health issue that slams into us. And in that moment, our faith has a tendency to freeze. In that moment, we wonder, God, what's going on? What's happening here? Why are you allowing this? Why can't you bring me health out of this? It may be the loss of a job. During these last three, four years, a lot of people have lost jobs. A lot of people have lost homes. A lot of people have seen their investments, their retirements dwindle away. There are people here today who have lost loved ones for COVID. And in those moments where God is working to refine our gold, it is sometimes difficult in the midst of that test not to freeze up spiritually, not to have such anxiety that we are paralyzed and unable to move ahead. What do you do when God calls your name, when he takes you into a test, 
when he allows you to face an adversity, what do you do when he calls your name? I want to answer that question for us all today from Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. It's a well-known story. It's a well-known story where the focus is often taken away from what Moses intended, and I, I believe from what God intended for us in this scripture. It is really answering the question, what do you do when God calls your name? And in Genesis chapter 22, we're going to see God's answer to all of us. First of all, it was for the nation of Israel. Moses knew that they were about to walk into a great test. They were about to enter the promised land, and they were going to face many difficulties there, many challenges there, and God wanted to refine their gold in the midst of that. But he knew that our tendency is to freeze when God calls our name. So today, I want us to look together at a truth we need to realize we look to a place to find rest. There's a trait that we're to reveal in the midst of the test, and then a reward that we're to receive. So I'd like to look at these verses, beginning with verse 1 of Genesis chapter 22, and it is a message here in the first two verses of realizing Abraham, realizing Israel, realizing us today that God will lead us into yet another test. Folks, it's not over. <laughs> we take quizzes along the way. We may take a midterm Sometimes God brings us up to what feels like the final exam, but it probably isn't until we take our last breath. But realize this, it's not exceptional. God will lead you into a test. Verse 1, now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. This is the first use of the word test or tested in the Bible. This is really Abraham's first or final exam as we have it. Uh, his first quiz came back in chapter 12 where God said to him, Abraham, leave your land, leave your people behind and go to a land that I will show you. I will give you that land. I will give you descendants I will bless you, and I will bless the world through you. And so Abraham started out to what we know now as Israel, but he had a failure. He took his nephew Lot along with him. Abraham's 75 years old, and he's thinking, you know, I may never have a son, so I'll take my nephew, and maybe he can be my heir, and maybe he can be the descendant through whom God will work out his plan. He failed that exam. He'd been living in the land 
for a number of years, and he and Sarah were still childless. And so one day, Abraham said to the Lord, maybe you want my servant, Eliezer, to be my heir. That's okay with me. And God said, F, you fail again. You didn't hear me. I'm going to give you a son, and it's through your son that the blessing will come. And more years go by, and still no child. And so Abraham says, I'll just take my wife's handmaid, and I will have a baby with her. And so Ishmael was born, and Abraham thought, ah, I finally helped God fulfill his promise to me. I now have a son. And boy, did that start trouble that goes on till today. And God came to him and said, failure, failure. Until finally in chapter 21, it says three times in verses 1 and 2, just as God said, as God had promised, just as God said, Sarah, 90 years old, has a baby. I can't imagine Lois. <laughs> 90 years old, Abraham's 100 years old, and they have a baby, and they name him Isaac. Isaac means laughter, laughter, happy, joy. Finally, the son of promise through whom God is going to settle the land and bless the world. Ah, oh, this is wonderful. And then God comes and calls Abraham's name. Go back to verse 1. And God said to him, Abraham, and he said, ready for another exam. That's what the Hebrew word Hanani, here I am, means. I'm here for the exam. And then he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love. Isaac, laughter, joy, hope future, and go yourself to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt sacrifice. Six times in this story, Abraham is to sacrifice joy, hope, future, laughter, God says, sacrifice your son on one of the mountains that I will tell you. If you mark your Bible, underline your son. Underline your only son. How many sons did Abraham have? He had only one in God's eyes. Ishmael didn't count. 
He had only one son through whom the promise would be fulfilled. Your son, your only son, the one you love. His joy. His love. God had finally, as he had said, given a son. And this was good. This was God's plan. Finally, I'm in the zone. You know what I mean by that? You go, I'm right where I should be. Right spouse, right job, right investments, right habits, right, right kids. Yeah, everything's going great. Man, this is wonderful. Grab life for all it's worth. And God said, nope, peel your hands open. Take the thing that seems to be right, the thing that seems to be working, and burn it up as a sacrifice to me. God wanted the gift that he had promised, the gift that he had given. God wanted Abraham's laughter. Your son, your only son, the one you love. Realize this, God's going to take you into a test. And in that test, God is going to ask you to unclasp your frozen hands before him. And even that which may seem right and good, and God has you in the zone where he put you in the first place, and he says, okay, give all of that up. That's what I'm asking of you now. And that's what Moses was telling Israel. Moses was saying, you're about to go into the land of promise. You're about to receive God's blessing. But take it with open hands. Continue to be faithful as you allow God to refine you. God tests not to disprove, to show how badly we play. God does it to approve us, to make us better, to help us out. So in the midst of the test, where do you find rest? Rest in God's provision during the time of your test. Rest in God's provision. I have no idea what that will look like for you. I have no idea what your test will be. But I do know this. Moses is telling Israel, God is telling us today, that in the midst of the test that is certainly going to come, he wants us to rest in his provision. Look with me at verse 3. I, I want you to watch the verbs here. I want you to watch Abraham's response. So Abraham got up. Early in the morning, he saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he split the wood for the burnt offering. And he set out. And he went to the place which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes. And he saw the place from a distance. And then Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey. And I and the boy 
We'll go over there and we will, what's the word? Worship. We will worship and return to you. We will go and we will worship. How is Abraham going to worship? He was going to slaughter his son and burn him up as an offering to God. Does that not sound hard? Does that not sound horrendous? And yet watch Abraham's faith. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. He laid it on his son Isaac. He took his, in his hand the fire and the knife. And so the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to his father and said, My father! And he said, Here I am, my son. And he looked. He said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac knew what it was to worship. He knew there was supposed to be an animal that would be sacrificed on the altar. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. And so the two of them walked on together. Key words. Worship. We're going to worship. Key words. God will provide. In the midst of the test, God will provide. You need to hear that? Oh my. I've been through tests. I know there's more ahead. My reality doesn't always match my aspiration. But as we are here this morning in church, being good, this is what we desire, isn't it? To rest our faith in God's provision. And that was the message for Israel that Moses had. As you go into the land, as you face Jericho, and you have no idea how you're going to take that great fortified city, as you're supposed to go in and divide and conquer and defeat all your enemies, don't be paralyzed. Realize this is God's way of refining you and rest your faith in his provision. God will provide himself for you. That was not only a message that Israel needed to hear, that was the message that we need to hear. When God says, I want you to love me, I want you to worship the giver more than the gift, what's our response? We realize the test is coming, we rest our faith in God's provision, but it's not enough to simply say, God will provide. God will provide. 
We need to act upon that. One of my favorite lines from one of my favorite musicals is My Fair Lady, where Eliza Doolittle says to her tutor teacher who claims to have affection toward her, she says, words, 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 I'm so sick of words. Show me. Show me. Show me now, she says. And that's what Abraham does. Abraham reveals his faith by sacrificial obedience. Look with me again. Verse 9. They came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar, and there he arranged the wood, and he bound his son, laughter, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham reached out with his hand, took the knife to, the best translation I believe is slaughter his son, sacrifice his son, offer him up as a burnt offering. I pause and I swallow. I shake my head in wonder and I go, what kind of faith must that have taken? When God says, I want you to worship the giver more than the gift, and he's placed something wonderful in your life, your health, your strength, your mate, your job. And he says, give it all up to me, your son, your only son, the one you love, laughter. And Abraham raises his hand in an act of sacrificial obedience, he's going to give up his son. Moses tells this story so that we will have a model of how God works in our lives. The whole story of Abraham from chapter 12 all the way through 22 here, the final exam, is the story of God Faithfully, consistently giving quiz after test, after midterm, after quiz, and again and again, and saying, Abraham, let me see your faith at work and sacrificial obedience. I surrender all. <laughs> all to thee I freely give. Really? Really? But that's what God wants. That's what God demands of us as we rest our faith in his provision. In the midst of the test, he wants us to reveal our faith by our obedience. Sometimes in a tough situation, somebody figures the best way to deal with it is to lie. Somebody may think the best way to deal with this is to steal. You could go on down the list. You know what I'm talking about. 
And then there are people like Abraham who says, you know, I don't know how this is going to happen, but I believe that God is going to provide, and I'm going to trust him. And it's that moment when you release your grip and you say, okay, Lord, take it, take it. I was a sophomore at Cedarville College. I'd been introduced to soccer. I loved the game. I made the team my sophomore year. I wanted to play goalkeeper because I didn't like to run. You know, if you play soccer, you got to run until I discovered that goalkeepers are outstanding in the goal. And so I asked if I could play goalkeeper, and the coach said yes, and by the end of the season, and by the end of my sophomore year, my coach came to me and he said, you're going to be my starting goalkeeper next fall. I was overjoyed. Shortly after that, on a spring evening, I slipped out of my dorm after dark, nobody else around. I went out onto the soccer field, and in a moment, when I was unfrozen, I said to the Lord, I love soccer. I love this game. I love to play. I love to stand out there. But if you take my legs through accident or disease or whatever, if you take my legs in order for me to love you more, to trust you more, take my legs. I said, and if you would bring into my life the girl of my dreams, and I would fall in love with her, and she would fall in love with me, but you would take her through accident or disease or whatever, so that I would love you more and serve you more faithfully. <sighs> then you take her. I've been blessed that she's still here <laughs> after 52 years of marriage. And although I'm kind of feeble on my legs these days, I still have my legs, and I am able to walk around. God decided he didn't need to take my legs or the girl of my dreams. But in that moment, I was willing. How many times since then have I had to do the same thing? Abraham took a final exam. We read about it and we go, oh, good deal, all done. Well, we don't know the rest of the story. I don't know the rest of your story. But I know that this is something that needs to happen again and again and over and over as God takes you through yet another test 
you realize that. You rest your faith in his provision. You reveal that faith through obedient sacrifice. And then, I love the way this chapter ends, there's reward. Abraham receives an amplified reward of God's promise of blessing. Verses 11 through 14. First of all, God provides because Abraham has revealed his faith. Verse 11, one of the most significant theological words in all of the Bible, but. <laughs> but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, still here at your service. And he said, do not reach out your hand against the boy and do nothing to him. Underline this, because now I know that you fear me, that you honor me, that you respect me, that you will serve me. Now I know that you love me. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. What did God say in verse 2? Take your son, your only son, the one you love. What does he say now? You did not withhold your son, your only son. What's lacking? The one you love. He doesn't say that. Why doesn't he say that? Is because he knows now, he knows now, I know, that you love me, the giver, more than Isaac, the gift. Now I know. And then Abraham raised his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him, there was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns and Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named the place the Lord will provide. Faith confirmed. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. The word provide occurs three times in this chapter. God provides. How? When? We don't know. What does he ask of us? Sacrificial obedience. In this case, he stopped Abraham's hand, knowing now that Abraham loved the giver more than the gift, and he says, I'm going to allow you to sacrifice an animal. God provides. In response to, now I know. And not only that, but he amplifies the promise Verses 15 through 18. There are some key words here. I'll try to emphasize them as I read this. In which God takes the promise that he made in chapter 12 and amplifies it here. The word greater, particularly. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn declares the Lord, because you have done this thing, you have not withheld your son, your only son. Do you get the point? God didn't want him to miss it. 
I understand he's your son, your only son, but now I know that you love me more than you love the gift I have given. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of your enemies. We're still waiting for that, aren't we? For Israel to possess the gate of their enemies. And your seed in them, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because, twice God says because, you have obeyed my voice. God says, I will reward you with my provision. I will reward you with the amplified promise of what I am going to do in your life. You remember Corey Tinboom? You remember how she and her family hid Jews in their attic during World War II from the Nazis? And when someone turned them in and they were taken into a concentration camp, Corey and her sister Betsy were there in the dark, dank, flea-infested, lice-infested concentration camp. And Corey was complaining. Why would God allow this? We did the right thing. Why would God allow this? And Betsy said, Corey, we have an opportunity to share our faith unhindered in this place because the guards won't come in. And we have full access to everyone here. We can read the scripture. We can teach them about Jesus. And Corey says, oh, now I understand. This is God's reward. We get to serve him. Jimmy sat at the dining room table with his family. He was enjoying seventh grade. He loved the town that he lived in. He loved the school. He had good friends. He was involved in many activities. And that evening, his parents said to him and his younger siblings, we have been thinking, talking, praying, and we believe that God is leading us into missions. We believe that God wants to take uh, dad's skills, not a theologian, not a preacher, but wants to take his professional skills and use them on the mission field. And they said, we're thinking about going to this place far away. The little kids, siblings, were excited. They said, oh, that's great. What an adventure. Jimmy just shook his head. No. I won't leave my town. I won't leave my school. I won't leave my friends. No. No. I'm not going. We can't go. No. Angrily, he pounded on the table, pushed back his chair, ran up the stairs to his room. His parents thought, I'm not sure how we could have made this easier for him. We're just going to have to pray. 
And so they started to pray. And they were praying for several minutes. And then, from the top of the stairs, they heard Jimmy on his trumpet playing all to Jesus. I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and serve him in his presence daily live. I'm willing to leave my town. I'm willing to live, leave my school. I'm willing to leave my friends. I'm willing to go where God calls me. And I have no idea what that means, but I trust him. Oh, that we would live that way.